Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, our host Larry Spargimino and James Collins will look at headlines from the end times. But first, we'll be listening in on a very special conversation. Ministry friend Greg Patton recently released a book entitled Living in Today's World, Stories of Faith, Inspiration, and Encouragement. James Collins recently spoke with Greg about his new book and Greg's hope that these stories will help you and I in our everyday journey of faith. There are thousands of stories as we live in today's world. This has been one of them. Those are the words that Pastor Greg Patton uses to close out his very popular segment on this program. Greg is the pastor of The Cross, a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He founded the church and has been the pastor there for over 30 years. Greg is a regular contributor to The Watchman on the Wall with his segment called Living in Today's World, in which he shares stories from his years in ministry, stories of faith, inspiration, and encouragement. Now many of those stories have been collected into a little book appropriately titled Living in Today's World. Greg is joining me today to talk about the book. Greg, thanks for taking some time to talk with me today. With you, Dr. Collins, it's a joy, a privilege, and thank you for letting us tell a story or two here today. In the book, you write about how a 16-year-old boy named Kevin Mitchell helped to bring you to Jesus Christ. Would you share that story? Yeah, it was a big thrill to meet this young man. I just liked him. This was back in 1973. He listened to my radio show down in Indianapolis, invited me to church, and quite frankly, just because of the fact that he was so nice, I said, I want to go to church with this guy. I-74 Baptist Church, just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. It was just so nice to meet this young man and they talked a lot about the Bible, of course, in church, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back. They're having a New Year's Eve party. I think I'll go back there and see what a New Year's Eve party in the Baptist church is all about. It's actually a watch night service, and boy, did I find out what it's all about. But to this very day, and I mention his name frequently as I speak across the country, the fact that this boy invited me to church, that was the seed planted. I went to that church. New Year's Eve, 1973, I heard the message of Jesus Christ very clearly for the first time. Went forward in that service. Like that night, I was the only one who did. Age 27, went forward and gave my life to Jesus Christ. I think about that. How did God use that boy to get me to the Lord? Just a simple invitation. The fact he was such a nice young man, I thought, I'll do him a favor. And as a result, man, I reaped eternity, salvation. Jesus Christ is Lord. So I will forever be grateful to Kevin Mitchell and him inviting me to church. I think the lesson for us, Greg, is that all of us have a part to play in bringing people to Jesus Christ. We may not be evangelists or pastors or teachers, but we can do like Kevin. We can invite someone to church. I love that story. It's a great story. Absolutely. And I tell people, hey, you reach people that I can't and vice versa. When God made you, he broke the mold, you're important to him, you're still on this earth, or he has a purpose for your life. So one of those, he that winneth souls is wise. So I just encourage people, let's get out there and do our job for the Lord. Some of the stories in this new book, Living in Today's World, are quite funny. Now, you, you and I, we laugh and we joke quite often, but there's a story in here that I just love about a dryer sheet. As embarrassing as it is, having lived a life of radio and television, Boy, pride can be a problem for most people that work in that media, in all seriousness. I've not met too many that 
hey, I am somebody. I'm the news anchor here. I'm the top DJ. And some of that will carry over a bit for me in my new walk with Christ. One day I'm just really feeling well, preaching in the northern part of the state of Indiana here at a Baptist church. And I'm really doing well. The lesson seems to be going fantastic. I was doing Sunday school, and I noticed everybody kept snickering while I was speaking. And I looked back at my Sharon, who was sitting on the service as always, and she's moving her head up and down like she's shaking, you know. I even stopped the lesson and said, to Sharon, do we have a problem? And, oh, no, no problem. I said, okay, just kind of wondered that. So this continued on. <laughs> she did that some more, and to make a long story short, finally I got the hint. And I looked down, and good grief, here is this dryer sheet sticking <laughs> out the zipper of my pants. <laughs> and I know I went instantly red, and I realized, my word, I know why they're snickering. And, of course, I had to have a really quick comeback. So I said, you know what, I don't think you people are taking this message serious enough. We need to stop and pray right now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> everybody bowed their heads. And I don't know, those dryer sheets are really tough. That thing was stuck in my zipper somehow. I had more of a wash and wear pants that day or something, and it, it was there. My goodness, I'm just pulling and praying and trying to get that thing out. Oh, and I never did recover. After I said amen and everybody looked up, they knew. Well, looky there, it's gone. <laughs> and so, yeah, the Lord has a way of humbling the proud every time. So when you start feeling your oats or thinking you're somebody, God has a way of directing things in your life. So that's just one of dozens of stories I could tell you how I've been embarrassed in the pulpit alone. It's been a good one, and it's just a good reminder to me. He's in charge, and nobody else is. So whatever's going to happen, get ready. Some of the stories, like the dryer sheet story in Living in Today's World, are quite funny. But, Greg, some of the stories in Living in Today's World are also quite touching. And one of the stories that really got to me was a story called Nobody Loves Me. It's the story of a teenage girl that you met at a Christian school in Missouri. Would you share that story? I had preached in this Christian school in Missouri. I usually would conduct the revival meetings during the night. They had a Christian school. We'd do it during the day. I enjoyed it with a past of radio and television and being one of the top-rated disc jockeys in the country at the time of salvation, I was able oftentimes to connect with the kids. I have been with you on that side of the fence. I'm over here, and I want to tell you why that was wrong, what I was doing. I would always get arguments. Kids, they love their music. You and I did. It's no different today. This one girl, I would hold sometimes 15-minute council sessions. The church was happy to comply with that and say, sure, this guy wants to see you, this guy. This gal came in with her friend. They were only freshmen in high school. But this gal was attractive, very educated in many ways, and she wanted to argue with me about some of the comments I'd make. And she made an appointment every day after chapel to come. And I just felt like she was reaching out for some things, but the fact that she wanted to argue with me, I would just go back at her in many ways. It seemed to be working, at least I thought. And I was getting ready to head out on a Friday in school at going well all week. Many people were saved, the altars filled, and I was just thrilled to see what God had done in that Christian school. But that Friday night, they had a basketball game, and she asked me if I would stay over, and just because it was her, I did. She was a leader in the school as a freshman. That's usually reserved for a high school senior, but this girl was that good, that sharp, and that together in so many ways. So 
I went to the game with Pastor where he watched the game. in every break that was, but they weren't cheerleading. She was one of the cheerleaders. She'd come up and sit with Pastor and I. And I just said, and I'm, I was going to use this somehow in the days ahead, I think. And hopefully I registered some things with her. Well, I'd been going, I think, two weeks for the church when the secretary of that church called me and said, Pastor, want me to give you a call, Brother Patton. We have some rather bad news on this end. I said, oh. And I thought maybe something, you know, some family broke up or we had problems with the revival meeting we held. I mean, I just had no idea what was about to come. This girl, I guess, in reality, was really reaching out, I think. Oftentimes, a kid would get that, get a paddle. It just wants the attention, just wants the time. And I've had six kids, and so somehow I missed something here on this one. And what had happened was they were moving into a new home. Some men in the church were helping her dad do some things in the basement, do water heater. And she was upstairs in her bedroom, and they heard a crack. Everybody wondered what that was, so the men they just all went upstairs, went to this gal's bedroom, knocked on the door. It was locked. And they, uh, wow, it's still hard to even tell this story. They, um, uh, kicked in the door, and there this girl was on her bed with a revolver in her hand, and she had shot herself in the head and committed suicide. Man, that's just briefly. Of course, you always think about this when somebody maybe dies, and you had an opportunity to lead them to Christ. That never happened. You wonder, did I do everything I could do? Did I say everything I could say? And those thoughts, to some degree, still go through my head today. But at her funeral, eight hundred people wow. came to that Baptist church. Her dad held up her suicide note in which she was saying that nobody loved her. And uh, with that, he just said, honey, I want you to look down over heaven's gate at this love note to show you that everybody really loved you. Yeah. It was just tough. And God knows, and I don't know what lessons, I've told that story in pulpits around the country. Hopefully it's had an effect on people get right with him and realize, yeah, that's the devil's ploy there to make you feel you're unwanted or unloved. And this was one example and a very tough one for me, a heart lesson for life. If someone's listening right now and you have thought that same thought that nobody loves you, Greg and I both want you to know that there's someone who loves you very much, Jesus Christ. He loves you so much that he gave his life on an old rugged cross so that you could have life eternal. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and you need him today. Gosh, don't be like this girl and think that nobody loves you. Well, this book, Greg, is just full of touching stories, tender stories. Some are funny. Some are practical lessons. I love the story about the time that you met the president of the United States. You titled the story, Be Ready. What happened at that particular moment when you were able to meet the president? In 1968, I was able to meet every Republican and Democratic and middle-of-the-road president candidate, if you will, and that was a thrill. Just to say I've been around him, I was a chief photographer for TV21 here in Fort Wayne, the ABC News affiliate. We just kind of climbed up the ladder and was able to get into doing news. But this particular session, Gerald Ford, President of the United States in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to speak at our Coliseum, and we got an exclusive interview, the only station in the world was able to get this interview. And so Harry Gallagher, our news director, was to do the interview with the president. I was thrilled to be there, had on my suit, the whole crew, extra team members from television station were there, and my goodness, in walks the president of the United States. Unbelievable. 
Ron Nesson was press secretary at the time. He came in, and Harry was not here, and we're supposed to be ready to go in a matter of minutes. Ron Nesson came up to us and said, those doors right there are going to be sealed in the next two minutes. If your news director who's to conduct this interview is not here, is there any one of you that would be willing to do the interview? And everybody turned to me immediately. I froze. I'm going to sit down and interview the President of the United States with no forethought as to anything that's going on in the world today. I've been busy. Mr. Gallagher worked two weeks to get his questions together to talk to President Ford. And somehow, again, all of us up to the challenge, I said, I would do it. And they were ready. And I was so glad. About a minute later, sirens, red lights, here come the Indiana State Police, an entourage, and Harry Gallagher was in one of those cars. He got into the hotel room here at the Marriott just in time before they sealed the door. And I've thought about that so many times. What would I ask? What would I have said? You know, hey, how's the weather? How do you like Fort Wayne? <laughs> I wouldn't have known what to do. But it's just one of those little life experiences. And I end up talking to the president, getting my picture taken with him. Few people can say that they have been in a hotel room talking to the president of the United States one-on-one. -on -one. It was an exciting time. And again, really happy to see that news director arrive. Now, Greg, over the past year or so, you and I have gotten to know each other, and I think of you as a friend and a mentor. Every time I see you in person or every time I talk to you on the phone, you always say to me, I love you, brother. And there's a reason that you always say that. Would you mind sharing the story about your dad and the reason that you always say I love you? When I got saved at age 27, I just thought everybody would be so excited. I had all kinds of problems. And God saved my soul, and I said, wow, I can't wait to tell everybody. But one of those that was disappointed was my father. He said that he understood that I got religion. Mm. And he said it would be over in a couple of weeks, and I could get back to normal. And so the relationship strained between him and I. I thought he'd be thrilled, and I was hoping that I'd be able to you know, lead him to Christ. But that didn't happen. In fact, he became hostile in some areas. I remember going over. We lived just across the street out in Roanoke, Indiana from my parents and my wife, children, there at the house. I'd go over now and then, and this particular heap was on Billy Graham, really negative. And they said, you know, he's a charlatan and a shark, and he's just getting people's money, and none of it was real. And it just hit me wrong, and back to this thing of pride, the old flesh, and Greg Patton came out. And I grabbed my dad and pinned him up against the refrigerator. Here I am, new Christian. And told him, you take that back, I told him. Oh, I was angry. And I went home, my wife said, I can't believe you did this. I said, I can't believe you either. I don't want to over me. That's the old great thing. So he can surface. That yeah. old you can surface. So Dad and I just had a really strained relationship. But he had a number of physical problems come about. And somewhere, things began to change in his life. He saw that I stuck to the stuff and that I was real. And bless his heart, he started acting like I would expect him to or wanted him to, I guess. He got really sick one time, and our pastor, Dr. James Bachman, led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, in Lutheran, he had a stroke. He had thrown my pastor out of the house, Dr. Bachman said, at least 300 times. <laughs> and by that, I mean he wanted nothing to do with the Bible. Every time he'd start talking Bible, he would get rid of the preacher. I was so embarrassed and felt so bad. I thought, I couldn't do this. And that's kind of the way it went until he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. It was great time with Dad. One Friday.
Friday night, I've been working so hard managing a radio station, Christian station here in Fort Wayne. Pastor invited me out for the evening and sharing. I said, I don't know if I come on, Greg, you need to just get out and relax a little bit. You've just been under the gun and your dad sick and so on and so forth. Go with us. And I consented to do so. And we stayed out to the midnight hour that night. And then when I got home, the phone was ringing at the house. I picked it up. It was my sister. And she was crying and screaming. And she said, Greg, where have you been? I said, oh, a pastor friend invited me out. What's the matter? But daddy is dying. you got to get to the hospital, right? I couldn't believe it. I even started to argue with her. Isn't that something? I so didn't want this. I wanted to be able to mature a relationship with dad and I. But I knew she was serious, and this was serious. So I grabbed my pastor, called him, went down there, and we were at the hospital a matter of minutes. I drove like a madman to Fort Wayne from Rona. Left my wife and pastor behind, said, I'm going to go ahead, and I ran went through the emergency room at the hospital, up to the fourth floor, the slowest ride I've ever had on an elevator, down the hallway, burst into the room, and it's silent, and there are several family members all around the perimeter of the room, and, oh, I just, I got a very sick feeling. And it's supposed to be a double bedroom, and the curtain was there, and I shoved that curtain back, and I looked, and there's my sister kneeling over my bed, weeping. And I looked into his face, and, my goodness, I I could tell he, he was gray already. And I just got sick. I took my hand and went down his leg and across his beer belly and just put my hand on his face. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do other than I said, Daddy, Daddy, if God, if it's all possible, bring him back. I said, Daddy, if you just come back just for a minute, I got something I forgot to tell you in the busyness of my life today, and that is how much I love you. And he never came back, James. See, next time I saw him, he looked really good in the funeral home. But that was a real regret for me and so yeah my kids say it to me all the time I say it to them on the phone in person with other people it's just become a habit to me because I want them to know it's my heart I love you and so I'm often exhorting people whether it's your husband or your brother your sister grandma or grandpa your best friend make sure they know that you love them I say it a lot another life lesson I guess an important one My guest on the program today has been Greg Patton, author of the book, Living in Today's World. Greg, I love you, brother. I love you. And I tell people frequently that of all the people I've been around, you and I are probably the closest to any other preacher I know. You're a great storyteller. You're a great preacher. I just appreciate your heart and your love for the Lord. And it's always a joy for me to be with you, whether it's on the phone or in person. It's a big deal to me. And I appreciate you all very much. Thank you, gentlemen. Today in our Resource Center, we're offering Greg Patton's book, Living in Today's World. This book features stories of faith, inspiration, and encouragement, told as only Greg can. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Time now for an update on the news that is important to you. It's time for Headlines from the End Times with Larry Spargimino and James Collins. Welcome to Headlines from the End Times. 
In the days of the Old Testament prophets, God said to appoint a man to stand guard on the wall. The watchman would scan the horizon for signs of danger. When an enemy was spotted making advances on the city, the watchman would sound the alarm. Each day we see more and more signs that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we seek to make sense of the nonsense and sound the alarm of the truth of Bible prophecy in current events. Today on this special edition of Headlines from the End Times, we want to focus on many recent pro-life victories that we're celebrating. Of course, the story that's on everyone's minds is the leaked draft Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. Pro-life advocates are excited that the Supreme Court is on the verge of wiping out the bloodiest stain on America ever left by an activist court. While the left is spinning out of control and protesting churches, government buildings, and even the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices, everyone in the Democratic Party from Kamala Harris to Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling for an uprising. While the left is coming unglued over this leaked ruling, the end of Roe v. Wade was never going to be the end of abortion in America. If the Lord answers our prayers and the Supreme Court strikes down the 1973 ruling, it will be the starting gun, not the finish line. The battle will shift to the states, where the legislative infrastructure that pro-lifers have spent the last several decades building will click into place. Each state will decide for themselves whether and when abortion would be legal. Some will allow it, others won't. But what matters, as the justices themselves pointed out, is that the question would be left for the people, not courts, wielding raw judicial power. And frankly, that is the one thing this 50-year conflict has been missing, a debate. If the Supreme Court sticks to its guns and releases some form of Justice Alito's opinion, America would finally have the opportunity to reach a working consensus on the issue of abortion, something we haven't been able to do for half a century because the court jumped in and imposed itself. Whoever leaked the draft is obviously trying to spare the left from the conversations about abortion that it spent the last several years avoiding because their position is frankly indefensible. Deep down, Democrats know that for all their manipulated polling numbers and selective talking points, Americans aren't with them on the extreme forms of abortion they seek. And once the issue goes back to the states, where the reality of this barbaric procedure will be spelled out for all to see, voters will understand what President Joe Biden admitted on Tuesday, May the 3rd, by accident. The victims of abortion are children. This isn't about a clump of cells or women's rights. It's about the violent murder of an innocent human being. And that's the truth the left will do anything to suppress. In an effort to get ahead of the Supreme Court's ruling, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer pushed a bill that would have enshrined abortion in federal law and overridden nearly all existing state laws. Fortunately, the motion failed by a vote of 49 to 51. No Republicans supported the measure, and they were joined in their opposition by only one Democrat, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Schumer's proposed legislation would have made sweeping changes, including expanding taxpayer funding of abortion and eliminating requirements that a woman be given information about the development of her unborn child so she can make an informed decision. 
Additionally, the legislation would have nullified all existing protective state laws and would have prohibited states from adopting new protective laws in the future, even laws specifically upheld as constitutionally permissible by the U.S. Supreme Court. Amid widespread acts of terror, vandalism, and intimidation from abortion activists, Democrat Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi praised abortion demonstrators for taking, quote, meaningful action, close quote. Pelosi said, we have been moved by how so many have channeled their righteous anger into meaningful action, planning to march and mobilize to make their voices heard. The protests praised by Speaker Pelosi caused mass chaos across the country recently, defacing and attacking churches, invading the privacy of Supreme Court justices' homes, and threatening pro-lifers with violence. One of these abortion groups expressing righteous anger, put that in quotes, published the home addresses of conservative Supreme Court justices calling for protesters to march in attempts to intimidate them away from voting pro-life. In Los Angeles, New York, and other cities, abortion protesters trespassed into Catholic churches, disrupting worship services and many spray-painting and damaging church property. Texas also suffered from acts of intimidation from these abortion demonstrators. We should call them criminals. Along with churches, Texas Pregnancy Resource Centers in Austin and Denton were targeted and vandalized. Pregnancy Resource Centers offer women and families free services, including rent help, job training, baby supplies, and more to aid in difficult pregnancy situations. The leaked Supreme Court decision comes as more and more states pass pro-life legislation. The most recent was passed in Oklahoma. Senate Bill 1503, the Oklahoma Heartbeat Act, was signed into law in early May 2022 by Governor Kevin Stitt. Under Senate Bill 1503, abortions may not be performed after the unborn child's heartbeat is detectable, generally around the sixth week of pregnancy. The law mirrors the Texas Heartbeat Act, which became law late last year. The Texas Health and Human Services Commission reported that abortions in Texas dropped by 60% in the first month after their law went into effect. Well, that will wrap it up, this edition of Headlines from the End Times. For James Collins, this is Larry Spargimino, leaving you with the words of the Apostle Paul, who said... In Ephesians 5:15 and 16, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Be sure and order today's featured resource, Greg Patton's book, Living in Today's World. This book features stories of faith, inspiration, and encouragement told as only Greg can. This book is perfect as a graduation gift or for you when you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, Bible teacher and prophecy researcher Michael Samuel Smith will begin a new series on women in ministry. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. 
Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.